Welcome to Spotlights, the podcast for the domestic abuse sector. In this series, Safe Lives are shining a spotlight on people affected by domestic abuse who are also experiencing mental health problems. In this episode, Amy talks to Jessica Southgate, Policy Manager at Agenda, the Alliance for Women and Girls at Risk, about how mental health services are treating women. Hi Jess, can you tell everyone about Agenda? Why were you formed and what is it that you do? Yeah, so Agenda is an alliance of organisations who have come together to campaign around issues facing women and girls who are experiencing multiple forms of disadvantage. So by that we mean women who have experienced uh, abuse, violence and poverty and who may then go on to experience a range of other problems in their life. So that might include uh, addiction, homelessness, contact with the criminal justice system. And we were formed as a result of uh, a recognition that beyond uh, the support that was already needed for women at risk of involvement with the criminal justice system, a lot of the problems that those women faced uh, were experienced uh, before contact with the criminal justice system. So it was about trying to make sure that we could improve systems and services to ensure that uh, women at risk of inequality, poverty and violence can get the support and protection that they need. So Agenda does that by campaigning to improve systems and services. Um, we aim to raise awareness across sectors. So our alliance of over 80 organisations uh, brings together women's charities, uh, larger organisations that work on particular single issues like mental health and uh, a range of other funders and organisations from across the sector. And we also work to uh, highlight women's voices and experiences to promote public and political understanding of the issues that they face. Wow. Um, so I've been reading some of the research from Agenda around the links between domestic abuse and mental ill health. Could you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah. Uh, so we know that women are more likely than men to face mental health problems, particularly conditions like eating disorders, self-harm, anxiety and depression. And unfortunately, we know that mental Ill health among women is on the rise. Uh, so now one in five women, uh, as opposed to one in eight men, are likely to experience a common mental health disorder like anxiety or depression. And there's clear evidence that there's a strong link between women's mental health and their experiences of violence and abuse. So in the context of knowing that women are twice as likely as men to experience interpersonal violence and abuse, our own research, Hidden Hurt, which is an analysis of a data set called the Adult Psychiatric and Morbidity Survey, found that 1 in 20 women were are likely to experience extensive violence and abuse as both a child and an adult. So in England and Wales alone, that's around 1 in 20 women. And that data also showed that there were really strong connections with women who've experienced abuse and poor mental health. So half of women who have mental health problems have experienced abuse of some form. And more than three quarters of those who have experienced extensive abuse, so that's across their whole lives, uh, have experienced some kind of life-threatening trauma. And 16% have experienced post-traumatic stress disorder. Over a third have attempted suicide and a fifth have self-harmed. So we can really see there the connections between uh, traumatic pasts and mental health problems. 
We also know that young women are at the greatest risk of developing mental health problems. So one in five 16 to 24 year old young women have self-harmed and 13 of them also have post-traumatic stress disorder. And again, that data showed us that one in four women with a mental health problem experienced abuse as a child. So we know that much of the, uh, the, uh, the rise amongst young women's mental health is likely to be connected to their experiences of abuse and violence. That's really interesting. So does that mean that women are more likely to experience mental ill health regardless of the abuse? And then obviously we combine either abuse in childhood or domestic abuse and that exasperates things, I suppose. That's right. Yes. And we hear that a lot from women as well. So they'll tell us that those early traumatic experiences and the abuse that they experience across their lives um, really has compounded and, and made their mental health problems uh, much worse. It's shocking, isn't it? Those figures really were quite eye-opening. I wasn't aware they were that high. It's mm. It really is food for thought. Yeah. So I have been reading about your Women in Mind campaign, which is extremely interesting. We will provide a link to that um, on the podcast. Could you tell me a bit more about how this came about and what the research entailed? Yeah, absolutely. So Agenda's Women in Mind campaign uh, really came about from the discussions that we were having with members and women with lived experience who kept telling us time and again how important mental health was and unfortunately how uh, little or limited support that they were getting for that. Uh, we knew from what they were telling us that it was over, it was often linked to other problems that they faced. So, for example, they might go on to um, misuse substances, but that to be a coping mechanism uh, as a result of the abuse that they faced, and that that was often closely connected with their mental health. So they were telling us and the support services that were there to, to try and, you know, um, make these situations better for them were saying that without getting the right kind of support at the right time, women could spiral from one crisis to another. And that, of course, comes at huge costs to themselves, their families and, and the communities around them. And we were often told from women that they felt that they had to be in a crisis situation before they could get any help. Um, so it really showed from the work that we did uh, at the start of the campaign to uncover this, that whilst trauma-informed approaches and gender-specific approaches uh, could make a big difference, unfortunately, these weren't being put into practice. So what we did, there were sort of two elements of our research when we first set out in the Women in Mind campaign. And the first was to find out whether or not women were being thought about in mental health policy. So we put out a freedom of information request to all NHS mental health trusts uh, and we asked them about their approaches to responding to women's mental health. And unfortunately, we were very disappointed by what we got back and it showed really no focus on women and certainly no um, overall strategic recognition of the relationship between abuse and mental health. Really? That's that's shocking, isn't it? It is. So of all the uh, mental health trusts that responded, only one had a, a strategy for providing gender-specific services for women. Most had no relevant policies or strategies uh, in place to provide that kind of gender-specific support. And only one in five reported having a policy on actively offering female patients the choice of a female care worker, although others did say that women could have that if requested. But obviously we know 
that a lot of time women won't request yeah. that. So that means, for example, that you might have a male member of staff doing a one-to-one observation. And of course, if you're a woman who's experienced abuse at the hands of a, of a man, that can be extremely triggering and re-traumatizing. That also might mean perhaps that there are breaches of single-sex wards or single-sex accommodation. And we saw with the recent report from the CQC uh, that that can put women at real risk of sexual assault and violence. We also found out through our research by digging a little bit deeper, that when women were in services, they weren't being treated in a sort of trauma-informed way. So, for example, we found that the majority of trusts, so that was 18 of those who had responded, had no policy on routine inquiry about abuse, which is, uh, so routine inquiry is when trained professionals ask about experiences of abuse and violence. And that's contrary to NICE guidance, which recommends that that should be happening in mental health settings. So the vast majority of mental health trusts that we heard from had no policies on actively offering support to patients who disclosed abuse beyond meeting basic safeguarding responsibilities. We also then looked into experiences of restraint and the incidence of restraint against women, which of course, as you can imagine, as a physical intervention, again, if you've experienced physical violence, uh, can be very re-traumatising quite apart from being uh, a distressing and humiliating experience, particularly if that's uh, an incident that takes place in front of others or by male members of staff. And we found through that FOI that nearly one in five women and girls admitted to mental health facilities had been physically restrained. So that of those women, nearly 2,000 had been restrained face down and they were more likely to be repeatedly restrained face down in the prone position. And the figures in CAMS were even more concerning. So girls were likely to be restrained face down and restrained uh, and more likely to to face that repeatedly than boys. And this varied considerably between areas. So we know this is not inevitable. So in some areas, for example, um, one mental health trust, more than half of adult women were physically restrained after admission. But in others, there was no face down restraint being used at all against girls. So we know that that is not only re-traumatizing, but restraint, of course, can be very physically dangerous. In additional figures that we obtained from the CQC, we found that um, very tragically, 32 women had died following restraint over a five year period. Yeah, that really is shocking. Mm, it is. It's a it's a huge number, and you know any death is of course one too many. But thirty two is is a really significant number, and of those young women again were overrepresented. So thirteen of uh, that thirty two were under the age of thirty, compared to four men and boys in that age group. And we also found uh, from the CQC figures that women's self inflicted deaths overtook men's for the first time in 2015 and did so again in 2016. So that's women in mental health units um, dying um, by by uh, self-inflicted deaths, which in the majority of cases is, is dying by suicide. And that, of course, reverses a trend in the general population where men are more likely to, to take their own lives. 
So our Women in Mind campaign is calling for women's mental health to be a priority, both nationally and locally. So that means making sure that women get the support they need when they need it in a safe and therapeutic space, and that gender-informed and trauma-informed care is available for women um, across uh, the, the settings that they're in so that staff um, know how to provide that and uh, that's sort of strategically built into uh, the plans of mental health trusts. I find it interesting, probably also alarming, that you know those, statist- those statistics that you read out about how many women and girls are affected by mental ill health, not only through abuse, but then obviously this can happen as well, yet people aren't routinely asking these questions when they come to complete assessments. It's just... It really is shocking that that's that that's not happening. It is. So what has the response been like for the campaign? The response has been very positive. So we've heard um, we've heard from quite a few women actually who've got in touch with us, uh, women with lived experience of mental ill health, to say that what we're talking about really resonates with their own experiences and welcoming the kind of changes that we're asking um, asking for. So we know that that really is resonating with women themselves. In terms of sort of political and policy action, we've also seen some very welcome developments. So the Women's Mental Health Task Force, for example, was set up um, following our, our Women in Mind campaign. That's been chaired by the Minister for Mental Health and Suicide Prevention, Jackie Doyle-Price, and our own Chief, Chief Executive. And the, uh, the, the report that that has produced will come out uh, before the end of the year, kind of making the case as to why women's mental health matters and should be considered in policy and practice. We also only yesterday saw a very welcome development, which was the passing of the Mental Health Unit's Use of Force Bill, uh, which people might know uh, otherwise as Shenny's Law, which is a really significant first step in significantly reducing and ending the use of restraint uh, in mental health units uh, for all people, uh, but making sure that staff have training to understand the impact of trauma and so that will of course particularly benefit women who've experienced violence and abuse and that they'll be able to have um, opportunities to think about ways to de-escalate situations rather than feeling that they have to intervene with physical restraint. So it's really you know these things are very very welcome uh, but it's really important that we keep up this kind of momentum and profile around women's mental health. Definitely. And I think people who, like myself, might not come from a mental health background might be quite shocked, really, to hear that restraint is so widely used. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend looking at the uh, at the bill that was passed. Um, how do you think mental health practitioners should be responding to victims of domestic abuse? So... As we've talked about, despite those clear links between abuse, uh, violence and poor mental health amongst women, services unfortunately appear to be frequently failing to take uh, trauma into account. So what we'd like to see is routine inquiry happening across the board. So as I say, that's a practice by which trained professionals are able to ask about experiences of current and historic abuse and violence and then respond to that appropriately so that's not just in mental health settings that's supposed to be happening that's that's also in others as well um such as empty natal sexual health yeah. drug and alcohol services and children's services um 
So we know, unfortunately, that um, whilst uh, women are not being asked routinely, they do really welcome it. And, mm. and um, you know, most, most find that it is a, a really positive opportunity to be able to uncover some of the root causes uh, behind the problems and the, perhaps some of the coping mechanisms that they've developed uh, in response. So, for example, one woman told us that after many years of suffering from mental ill health and not getting the right kind of support that she needed, when she finally was asked, it really started opening up gateways into support uh, and roots into that trauma-informed, gender-specific type of care um, that has made a significant difference in her recovery. Um, but as I say, unfortunately, too often people aren't taking the time to really uncover um, some of those root causes. And we think that there, you know, there is there is real need for further training and support for staff to be able to do that because some of the barriers are, of course, around people's confidence to be able to ask, definitely to know how to refer on, but also to know about how they can then respond to that in their own treatment, care, and planning. So we do want to see, you know, a whole organisational approach to being able to implement this. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. Um, I've spoken to professionals before who have said they don't want to offend people by asking the question and that's not actually what is happening at home. And we've we've said, you know, if it's not, then these these women who are routinely asked don't mind. Mm -hmm. They would probably feel more comfortable if it was to happen to them. There is someone there that they can talk to. Mm -hmm. And as you've said, I think it is around further training for people. So when someone does disclose... They're not scared. They do know where to refer people to and where to signpost. So, um, yeah, I think that is really valuable. Absolutely. So you've mentioned it um, before in this podcast, but could you tell me what agenda mean by trauma-informed response and what does this mean in practice? Yeah, so... As we've said, trauma is often the underlying route to many of the kind of challenges that women face. And unfortunately, particularly for women facing multiple forms of disadvantage, um, their coping mechanisms, perhaps behaviours that they have developed in response to this can be labelled as, um, you know, difficult or poor coping. Um, and they can be seen as sort of hard to reach and engage with. But evidence suggests that there's real value and importance of delivering services in a way that adopts a more psychologically based framework to respond to women's needs. And that really fits well with a, a gender sensitive as well as an intersectional approach to working with women. So trauma-informed services uh, really recognise the impact of violence and victimisation and they do everything that they can uh, to avoid re-traumatisation. They identify that recovery from trauma is the primary goal. And unfortunately, that often doesn't seem to be put first and foremost in, in all services where people who've experienced trauma um, are. Uh, those sort of trauma-informed services also strive to maximise women's opportunity to have choice and control over decision-making, treatment planning, and they create a really respectful environment where uh, where there's a, a, a better balance of power, perhaps, between staff and women that's based on safety and respect and, and mutual acceptance. Yeah. And we know that many women's centres operate in already in this way and to these values and principles. So there is good examples already in the community um, of how trauma-informed care can be delivered specifically for women. Is this specifically for women or is this something that we see in CAMS as well for younger girls? Yeah, so we know less about the situation in CAMS. Okay. 
from our own research, but uh, absolutely the same principles apply for for young women. And unfortunately, as those figures suggest, uh, the restraint figures amongst girls being so much higher than boys, um, it would suggest that unfortunately they're they're not taking that into account. And we think in general, uh, amongst sort of youth mental health, girls' needs in particular, and particularly the relationship between abuse and their um, the rising um, high rates of mental ill health aren't really being taken account of. No, thank you. Where mental health trusts are in a position of further developing or commissioning services, what does Agenda think they should be considering? Yeah, so um, from work that we've done with Ava, Mapping the Maze, we were, uh, in that piece of research, looking at what provision was being uh, provided for women facing multiple disadvantage across the country. And through that, unfortunately, in the request that we put into clinical commissioning groups, for example, that a number were refusing to provide women-only support on the grounds of equality. Now, of course, we know that that is a misinterpretation of their duties under the uh, under the Equality Act. Um, so there also is a big gap that research found in support for women's mental health beyond the perinatal period, where there are already, you know, existing gaps as it stands. So we think that this really needs to be an issue, first and foremost, about governance and leadership at the central and the local level. But in terms of what mental health trusts specifically can do, um, as I say, it really requires a whole organisational approach and commitment. And first and foremost, that starts with having a women's mental health strategy in each mental health trust so that that can really focus their mind and energies on the steps that they're going to take to be able to implement that in practice. And then that means that they will have uh, uh, strategies in place to allow them to provide these types of services that can respond to trauma by providing safe and therapeutic environments for women uh, in which they can address uh, the abuse that they've faced and, and, you know, support their recovery. And it's really important that in doing that and setting that up, uh, that that is done in co-production with women. So really talking to women with lived experience, uh, finding out uh, what it is that they think they need uh, so that they can really get that right. And we'd also like to see uh, a holistic and joined up approach to working with women's services that already exist. So as I say, uh, there are a number of very good women's centres around the country already operating in this sort of way, um, as well as a range of other support services that women can be signposted and supported into. But really being able to provide uh, that kind of support that is integrated and has has a a partnership working relationship with the mental health trust can help uh, women, particularly those who might otherwise fall between the gaps. Uh, And we're hoping that the resulting work of the Women's Mental Health Task Force that I mentioned will be able to provide commissioners and providers with um, with good guidance around what this might look like in practice and the type of steps that they might be able to take uh, to implement gender-specific trauma-informed support for women. I think it's a relief hearing, you know, these these statistics were quite alarming. So it is a relief to hear that this isn't a million miles away to get to. There are some pockets of good practice and people are working to get there. So that yeah. that really is reassuring that it's not it's not something that's just a dream and will never be will never be conquered. Yeah, it really is.
If anybody listening to the podcast would like to support the campaign, you can go to our website and uh, click on the Women in Mind page there. Uh, that's weareagenda.org. Thank you so much, Jess. It really has been so interesting. Um, with the podcast, we'll put up some links to the website and some of the um, articles and the bill that you mentioned. Um, so if anybody wants to do some further research, your website really was invaluable for me. Um, I had a good read of everything on there and got a great understanding. And as I've said, some of those statistics were, were shocking and I've worked in this field for a long time. So thank you very much for bringing them to our attention. Thank you. Thank you.